Welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking. This is your host, Andrew Powell. And on today's episode, we are joined by Anatalk's technical team members, Matt Oldnall, Simon Carlton, Jose Ramirez, Othmar Lopez, and Callie Selby. In our excitement for a new year, the Anatalk's technical team has come together to discuss some of 2022's most impactful events. What is one of the most influential research publications of the year pertaining to feed, and how was it significant? So there was a piece of work by Dr. Nikki Sherriat based on CRISPR and genetic population sampling of Salmonella cerevars within raw materials and feed. And in the meat and bone meal sample that she looked at, she depicted 11 different cerevars of Salmonella were present. And this is quite interesting. If you look at traditional testing methodologies, you will always get out the most dominant cerevar that plates out due to the way of selection and competitive exclusion of bacterium on growth medium. So, you know, it's a very interesting piece of work because as science and technology develops, so is our understanding of feed and feed materials. And it starts to, you know, really add some some thoughts to the piece of work where you can draw conclusions where you see different cerevars survive in different environments and different conditions. You know, feed is a hostile environment and it's quite a quite a tough environment for bacteria to survive in due to differing moisture levels and oil levels, protein levels. So it's an interesting piece of work to look at where we're going technology-wise and how we are starting to understand better bacterial populations within feed and feed ingredients. What were some of the year's most impactful events and how did they impact the industry? Feed pricing, as everyone will know, has been very, very erratic this year. Um, We've had several factors that have affected it. The number one being the war in the Ukraine, with Ukraine being a significant grain exporter globally, both in wheat and sunflower. So as the war broke out, obviously raw material availability became an issue and we started to see record feed prices. If you you track the UK feed prices, we reached an all-time record high and then there was the the political agreements to open the the grain corridor and we started to see some, some feed prices tapering off again. They have started to turn back up a little bit, but no, nowhere near to the level they were a couple of months ago at record highs. These have obviously had significant financial impacts on producers across the board, with really starting to tighten margins. Where if you look at the UK layer sector, for example, you know the feed price is really, really started to squeeze farmer margins to the point where some of them are running at break-even margins. Yes, and I would like to add if that also on the freight market has been very high, so. For those countries that rely on imports of grain and oil seeds, um, they get a, they got a big hike in terms of freight costs and had a huge impact on their feed on, on the feed costs also. I would like also to add something is the following: you know, uh, as the interest in renewable energy has grown uh, higher, we have seen also a trend on some of these uh, countries on diverting some oil like feed oil that was being used for animal feed uh, being diverted for biofuels and also um, increasing ethanol production. So that also is additional pressure on the, on the commodity prices in order to compete and make it, make, is making the animal to compete with the fuel industry, let's put it that way, in terms of accessing uh, grains and commodity for their feed operations. Jose just reminded me of a point. We're talking about feed prices here and just about raw material costs, but the energy crisis has caused severe um, cost inflation to feed as well. Where there's been several businesses across Europe looking at potentially stopping pelletizing in order just to save costs, with the pelletizing costs on diets having rain, risen between 50 and 100%. Yeah, so it's a big 
combination. So like Matt mentioned, where you all, you have the energy crisis in Europe pushing uh, energy costs higher, right? You have the grain factor there that's uh, limiting some of the access to the grain and oil seeds there. You have the freight market also that caused an increase on, on, on ingredients and, and location in different countries. And, and the pressure also from the government pushing uh, some of these uh, policy, the green policy, uh, in terms of competing some of these ingredients or raw materials for uh, renewable energy, such as ethanol or biofuels. And I know it all sounds a bit doom and gloom in terms of costs, but when costs rise, what it really drives is production efficiency. So you'll start to see the industry really starts to tighten its belt again and get really, really productive, efficient and produces to the highest level. Yeah, prices are actually the back down. They they started, um, they went up uh, after the war. They came down once the channels opened in kind of um, June, July. It went up in um, August, September, um, and then they're back down again to kind of July prices now. They've come back down because I think those channels have, the channels closed and then they've reopened again. So they may continue to drop a little bit as we get into the new year. We'll see depending on how the war goes. But uh, it's certainly been a real challenge for all livestock producers, no doubt about that. But uh, on the positive side, the new acreage of corn, soybeans in the southern hemisphere could probably help somehow reduce the ease or ease the strain in 2023. We're talking about some additional uh, acreage that have been converted in parts of Brazil and in Argentina. But on generally, on the landscape, feed prices will remain uh, high for the re- remainder of the year and even into 2023. In Europe, H5N1, high path, avian influenza, rather than tailing off after last winter, it continued on at the at the kind of level it was typically in, in previous years. Uh, it's been it's been a winter based uh, phenomenon where we've seen um, increases in influenza, avian influenza, high path over the winter, but it's then tended to disappear uh, during the summer months. We get warmer, uh, but uh, in 2022, that didn't really happen. And if you look at since October 21 in Europe, there have been uh, more than 50 million poultry culled, more than 2,700 outbreaks in all manner of poultry, um, including large commercial operations, breeding operations, backyard flocks, and so on and so forth. And that's over at least 36 countries. And vaccinations prohibited in the EU, but that particular uh, vaccination is being it's under review. So uh, the EU and UK are looking at whether they're going to start to um, consider using vaccination because almost, well, I think we can say it's Certainly this year, it's become endemic and it's really caused a, a lot of problems, uh, particularly for the egg industry. Not just It's not just avian influenza has affected the egg industry, the feed industry has as well, the feed cost has as well. But certainly many, many flocks have been, um, been culled across Europe. Your observations in Europe are also being reflected, actually being mirrored here in North America. Uh, while in uh, previous years, the outbreaks would usually uh, die down or banish towards the end of spring and summertime there will be less and less until uh, the coming autumn now this year almost every month there seems to be an outbreak whether in backyard or in commercial flux that to date as of december 9 there are now a total of 52 million poultry that have been uh, taken away because of the occurrence of this and the biggest uh, percentage of that would be in the coolest and layer section with about 40 million followed closely by uh, turkey close to 9 million birds so that's a huge chunk of the population. If you talk about the layers alone, total of 
90% of the total industry had been wiped out because of the avian flu outbreak that is ongoing throughout the uh, months of 2022. And Turkey's 3.96% uh, of the entire flock affected by this uh, outbreak. You know, to add to what Simon said about the, the outbreak in, in Europe and, you know, the EU, as Simon mentioned, has always been hesitant to allow for vaccination. But due to the severity of this outbreak, that viewpoint is potentially shifting. They have commissioned some work to be done at Wageningen University in the Netherlands, looking at three different vaccination types. And then there will be a review afterwards about the implications of international trade with vaccinations because vaccinations will hold a key but it will not solve the problem. It's still going to require tight biosecurity. You know, if you look at the UK outbreak, the UK has been in a very fortunate position of there's been no tracked farm to farm spread this year. It all seems to have been brought in by wild birds or external factors. So tight biosecurity plus vaccination might be the path forward and out of out of it. And if we look at Latin America region, uh, one interesting point is that at least in Mexico, they started in November uh, vaccinating against the uh, avian influenza virus. It's all uh, because, you know, Mexico and, and another country, they, they have a common uh, flying um, migratory pathway. So you have the birds coming down, they cross the Caribbean one side, or they might cross through the Mexico, Central America, and head South America. So there's a different pathway for the bird, migratory birds. And Mexico is one of the biggest ones. And so they, they got hit by, by avian influenza there. They started vaccination. I'm not wrong. They're all over 1 million. It's not big, but at least over 1 million birds lost already affected. However, it's kind of scary. Some big countries in South America because it has been recent uh, detected in migratory and wild birds. Let's put it that way in Chile. But we also have uh, in Peru already cases there, uh, birds and also in commercial birds. Colombia is in wild birds detected. Ecuador also. So there's a several other countries in South America that uh, wasn't seeing, and now they're starting seeing that, and there's a lot of concern in the poultry industry down there. I was at a, a discussion a couple of months ago where they were looking at, you know, due to global warming, how the flyways, the natural flyways are changing. And one of the hypotheses that they have at the moment is the virus is so fit because you've got the North American and the Eurasian flyways mixing. So you're getting the viral mix between them. It's not confirmed, but it is one of the theories they are looking into is how the flyways changing are affecting the, the viability and survivability and virality of the virus. That's right. And uh, talking with some of the uh, poultry veterinarians, they are saying that the avian influenza might be here to stay, at least in North America, because not only the wild birds are uh, the ones that are carrying the virus, but even the local uh, passerine birds, uh, house birds, and those uh, uh, local bird species are also already carrying the virus. And they don't go down with the infection, but they do uh, transmit the virus to the uh, susceptible commercial flux or even backyard uh, flux. One of the biggest things that happened for Anatox this year was our addition to our feed pathogen control line. Does one of you want to take an opportunity to talk a little bit about Fortrol? So, as you mentioned, Andre, the product's called Fortrol. In principle, it's an organic acid blend for the propionic acid and formic acid. And the ideology of what we were trying to achieve with, with Fortrol was to create a product that would sit in tandem with our flagship product, Finio, in order to give us economic range and coverage, in addition to having the vari variability in pathogen control 
requirements for different stages of production. You know, trying to achieve this with the correct liquids and the correct application, viscosities of liquids and, you know, mixing time required to get these things took the developmental stage quite a bit of time to to get it all right. And the direction we're heading into is we're heading into specific chemistries for specific purposes. So an example of that might be in a broiler set of rations, you might want the finio application in your, your pre-starter and your starter ration to really give clean, sanitized feed to your young chicks. And then towards the back end in that finisher and withdrawal period, you might not need that high, high level of control given to you by, by finio. So you can use a more economic product and dosage in Fortral to give you the protection against the, the potential salmonella contamination in a withdrawal feed, for example. One of the, the projects we're working on quite in quite in depth at the moment and we're seeing positive signs out of is using the correct chemistry with the correct application at the correct point to give the best efficacy. So as I previously mentioned about diet specificity, we can also use the different chemistries to help with mill legacy bacteria and risk coming in with raw materials. Any exciting news to expect for 2023? Well, 2022 was a great year for research for Anatox. We worked in conjunction with Dr. Gina Wilson at the University of Georgia for a broiler breeder trial. And there we looked at the impact of Terminate on broiler breeder performance as well as progeny health. We will have a poster at IPPE 2023 um, giving some of that data to the industry. We will have a poster looking at necrotic enteritis challenge model and broilers. Can't wait to share this data with the industry in 2023 um, and show them how Anatox is continually trying to support them and the problems that they're facing on a daily basis. Adding on to what, what Kelly's just said there, and one of the reasons I think all of us on this call are particularly excited is it's moving feed pathogen control into a new sphere. We're taking feed pathogen control from a cost of business and a food safety aspect of manufacturing feed into a, an area where it becomes a performance enhancement for the producer itself. So you've moved a cost into actually an ROI category. If we look at some old dated um, in, indications of why we've gone down this pathway, and how we believe it will work, there is potential significant financial returns for producers. So you'll be using the products in a production and additive way to improve performance and getting the food safety benefits alongside it. 